is a Zerbinator Land production. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Overthinking Podcast. It's me, the Zerb. Today's episode is titled, The History of History Education. The reason I chose this subject is because I feel that when I was learning from 1970 until 1979, there was a lot left out, or we were still kind of in the infancy of the human race, and a lot of things weren't paid attention to. Don't be fooled by today's technology. There's still a ton to learn. We just learn it a lot faster than we did before cell phones, before internet, before computers. And I'm blessed to have lived in a time before cell phones and computers and internet because to learn things, you really had to work at it. It didn't come instantly. And not to say that I was a champ in school at all. I was terrible in school. Uh, I got held back quite a bit. I I got held back in kindergarten because I wasn't old enough to go into the next grade, which is good old Catholic school for you. And then I got held back in second grade. They said for the same reason, but I think I was starting to get kind of... And then by the fifth grade, I was asked to leave because the nuns and I didn't get along so well. So I get into public school and I realize I'm like three years behind on education. And uh, so I don't know if it was faster paced in public school than it was in parochial school or parochial school sorry I said parochial and that's not a word or is it we'll find out you have to look it up that's my point but the biggest question I had especially for this episode of the show was history education I'm going to say and again I wasn't that good in school But I did go to two different varieties of teaching, public school and parochial school. In both cases, I don't remember history covering more than the basics. George Washington, Christopher Columbus, 1492, Egyptian Mayans. I stopped showing up to certain classes, not only because I was lazy, but there were some teachers that were also lazy. Uh, that no no kid left behind stuff didn't come until after I was out of school. But uh, we had some teachers that would rather sit there and uh, wonder why they even bothered getting into teaching instead of actually teaching. Um, people falling asleep in the classroom and they wouldn't bother waking them up. So they would be extra quiet and they were like, well, okay, if you're not going to learn, I'm not going to teach. That kind of thing. I don't think that's a smart way of teaching kids. I would think you would try harder. But, you know, they're kids, so they could take a little responsibility themselves if you want to be that way, but no, I don't think they're capable. And the parents could lift a little bit more of, I come from a broken home. All right, enough about that. So we're going to go on in a bit here and listen to my son-in-law talk about his experiences in teaching. He has one hell of a background, and I'm very, very, very proud of this young man. As long as I've known him, he's been quite the Einstein. And for those kids who need to know who Einstein was, look it up. He was a dog on Back to the Future. 
But if you look further, you'll find out that he was a Catalian sheepdog. I learned that. I first met Jim when our daughter Katrina was going to college in Connecticut. We were living in New York at the time, and uh, she loved him. She said, I'm really falling for this guy. And I said, is he dreamy? And she said, yes. But while in college, Jim got a bachelor's degree in anthropology, a post-baccalaureate degree in secondary history education, and got his master's from Wesleyan College in Connecticut. He teaches social studies and history, including Native American and American history, at a private high school in Connecticut. He's a part of the associate faculty at an online university teaching history, and he has taught history at community college as well. His greatest achievement is being a great, incredible father to two beautiful kids, my grandkids, who I can't get enough of, and we'll do a show with them one day just for the heck of it. And finally, he has survived two episodes, and we hope to do more, of History and Beer at Serpinatorland, where he teaches history and we drink beer. And it's a pretty good show, and I miss doing it, and we plan to do more soon. So let's continue onward with this wonderful episode titled The History of History Education. Jim, how are you doing, my son? I'm doing well. I'm here. I might as well say it. You are a tad under the weather and you still showed up. I I am not 100%, but I am here in spirit. That's important. (laughs) Of course, we have some first thoughts. So when that sentence is being said, um, and we've heard your background already, and uh, what would be... My if you long, heard, winding career. It's a winding road. All, all of the various uh, accomplishments and, and milestones. And accruities. Accruities. We might be making up words now. That's I'm all right. Sure. I played banana last night, so I, I won with that. You know what I'm talking about? You were playing with your banana? You know, you know the banana game is like... Uh, oh, with the yeah. Like... Uh, the tiles. Yes. Scrabble. Yes. Okay. Scrabble for children. I have played with my banana, though, uh, if you want to talk about that for a while. I think that's a different podcast, maybe, that you had somebody else signed yeah. up for. Yeah. You're more than welcome to join. That's okay. There's going to be a circle of us. <laughs> and now, first thoughts. What are your first thoughts on the sentence, history of history education? Well, I, I think that my first thoughts are that certainly teaching history or, or social studies of any kind, any, any kind of teaching where we're discussing, um, you know, either the reflecting back on events that have shaped the human experience right. as it is now or as it has been over time, or whether you're looking at uh, how we study cultures and differences in socioeconomic levels and um, governmental systems. I, I think that obviously how we teach it at any given time is reflective of, of how our society, how our culture is, is really viewing things in a, you know, uh, in a much wider scope. It's, it's really reflective of, of what, to use a social studies term, it's, it's reflective of what our worldview is at that time. Right. You know, social studies teachers talk about worldview as this uh, filter, right? um, that everything that, that people in a culture or in a society tend to put things through. And so our worldview has changed over time. You know I mean? There was a time when, when uh, 
you know, part, uh, one of the chapters in uh, U.S. history was why the Indians had it coming. And, and, and now, obviously, you know, it, that's, that's changed. Now we, we, we approach that subject from a much different point of view. Um, so I think that, that when you look at, you know, if, if we're going to talk about maybe focusing on, on American education, right. social studies here in the United States to, to make it definitely. simpler, not simple, but simpler, um, I think that, you know, going off of your, your general statement, I think that how we teach social studies is very reflective of maybe more than any other academic discipline, what our worldview as Americans is at that given time. Present moment in time. Yeah. That was the whole reason I wanted to do this particular episode is because of the difference in the 70s and 80s of what I was taught. And I feel like uh, there's been a distrust in there. And I feel like uh, that I was cheated some educational goodness. See, it's interesting. You, you, before this show, you had mentioned to me, you know, comparing what school is like now to when you were in school. And, and as you said, in the 70s and 80s, you know, to, to put this in perspective, I was born in 1980. So yeah. my, my remembrance of social studies in school really begins in the 90s. Okay. And, and it, it's interesting. I mean, we haven't even gotten into particulars yet. Right. But a, apparently, you know, you as an American who lives in America today and, and has certain presumptions about how we teach things today, you already see this without even being in the classroom right now. You see a stark difference between how history and how social studies in general is viewed today as opposed to the 70s and 80s. Whereas me, with with the 90s, by the time I got to learning you know in in grade school at a at an age where i was going to remember this yeah. now at, at the age of 38 right um i i think that there must have been a, a major shift between when you were in school and when i was in school because by the time i was in school in the 90s things had changed you know um i i remember for example in 1992 the the 500 year anniversary of christopher columbus you know quote unquote discovering America. Right, I got you. Um, well said. And, and, and that was, you know, how that was being approached, what was going on in, in society. There were parades with Native Americans protesting and such. Um, there were a couple of different movies that came out at that time about Columbus and, and you know, how we really should view him and such. Uh, I, right off the top of my head, that, that kind of stands out as a, as a, as a moment where I reflect back on it and it, it wasn't being taught to me when I was in grade school in the early 90s as, oh, well, he was a hero and that's it. But but you seem to be coming from oh, this. Yeah. We you had... seem to be coming from not, not that far ahead of me, but right. you seem to be coming from a position where even just a few years earlier, that that mindset seems to have been something it, very different. It didn't exist. Like now the, the, the chance of that turning into all international something day, like international, yeah, uh, you know, a National Native American Day now, or, or right, you know, and it's um, when I was a kid, we had posters on the wall of Christopher Columbus, fourteen ninety two. You want to do that? That's what you want to become. You want to become Christopher Columbus. He was an amazing man, and he he forged the future, and and we all have to aspire to be like that. And it was really almost would not encourage most people to aspire to behave. Like Christopher Columbus, but that's a, yeah, go on. Right, <laughs> right, and uh, and it was uh, and it's, I I didn't realize anything negative about Christopher Columbus until 
God, even after school. So there must have been this, this, I guess what I'm saying is you with the 70s and 80s and then, you know, me with this living memory of being in elementary school by the early 90s, there seems to have been this this pretty major shift that that occurred even between the time when you were in school and when I was in school. And, and, and I feel like as a social studies teacher, you know, I came into really learning about social studies in grade school after this shift occurred. And now I've, in my career, taken it even further down that same path. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, that, um, that today, you know, all social studies is, is about is, is reversing what we always taught. It's really just more about um, trying to, I, I would say the objective is now, trying to not be one-sided from either perspective. Uh, you know, if you want me to give you notes, if you will, on Christopher Columbus being a good guy, I mean, I, I he had a wealth of experience as a sailor. He was an expert, brilliant navigator. I was going to say. Uh, he he certainly, I mean, if you want me to give you a list of he positive could, things about Columbus, I, I can. He could follow them stars. His, <laughs> he could, he could. Um, he, he certainly had courage in, in the face of... Uh, you know, his men literally thinking they were going to sail off the end of the earth or something like that. Um, a flattest, if you will. Uh, yeah, and, and he was not. He was not a flattest. Uh, he was not a flat earther, which seems to have come back these days. But then again, uh, uh, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to just teach only negative about him. But no, no, I with that said, you know, I can give you a list of positives, but, but uh, certainly in, you know, as somebody who has taught, Christopher Columbus uh, numerous times in, in U.S. history at, at the high school level. Um, I, you know, the list of negatives goes on and on and on. And, and the cons and are, are... at this point dominates the teaching of, of Columbus. You know, I mean, number one, he wasn't the first to discover America. And mm -hmm. I'm not doing this just to be negative or just to be, you know, what somebody might label as a leftist or something. I mean, he... No, no. Uh, Native Americans were here a minimum of 12,000 years ago. Vikings... We now know without any question, Scandinavian sailors were in the Americas about 500 years before Christopher Columbus, around 1000 AD. But did they have so, a flag? Did they have a flag? I'm sure if you were managing to sail from, from uh, you know, Europe to the Americas, you had a flag. But, <laughs> did they, did they go but, here's, but here's the difference. Yes. Now, now to, to jump back, you know, well, why is it even worth it to still mention him? I mean... The truth is, he's that, white. That well, he's <laughs> he's white. It's it it is more than that. The Americas became dominated. Christmas. Whether you consider this positive or negative, the Americas became dominated. And this is what I always tell my students. Like at at the end of the day, you can list the positives and negatives. Why why still bother then to teach Columbus? Well, at the end of the day, the Americas became dominated by European people. Whether you think that's positive, whether you think it's negative, whether you just take it for what it is. They that's, became dominated by that's European That's the beginning people. of what we know and, today as and, America. Well, and the first time that, that Europeans arrived in the Americas, started a settlement, and didn't stop coming over was Christopher Columbus. Now, of course, he was Italian, but he sailed for Spain. All right, But, but the Spanish were the first ones to start coming over to the Americas from Europe in, in large numbers, and, and the first exploration or settlement they had was Columbus and after Columbus it never stopped the Vikings came over but they went back 
You know, you can argue about other groups having because made it here or not, but they didn't. They didn't make it. The, the reason they went back, I believe, is because it was already inhabited. Well, the Vikings had all kinds of problems. Yeah, and well, one of the problems with the Vikings, which specifically what I'm referring to, is that they, if you go to Canada, what's now called, uh, well, the, the Canadians mispronounce their own island. Uh, it's it's uh, they Canada. They say they say Newfoundland. Uh, oh, good. I always say, I'm part Newfoundland. Are you? Yeah, I found out. I'm part, Newfoundland. Part it's... Norseman. There's, I don't know what I am. No, go ahead. I always say Newfoundland because because it's it's uh, John Cabot eventually came over there and literally named it Newfoundland. Oh. And then and then Canadians always correct me and say, no, it's not it's not Newfoundland. It's it's Newfoundland. And I'm like, they well, you're to, actually you mispronouncing your own. To yeah. say. <laughs> they they do. Every time, Newfoundland. Newfoundland. It's a. It's this. I mean, they 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 had a in that vicinity. They had at least one that we're aware of, major settlement, and we know that they they basically had a lot of problems with with the local Indian people, right? And uh, Native American people. They they did not get along, and and we know this because the Vikings uh, kept great records. They have what's known as the Viking sagas. Uh, they did not get along with the native population. They went there to farm and. If you look at how native people there were making a living off the land, they weren't farming. They were hunting because it's cold yeah. and wet and snowy or whatever else. And, you know, it didn't suit them. And, and so they ended up going back. If they had just hung out until If they just June. stayed and been nice to the Indians. It's funny, actually. We, we know that the the vikings who originally settled in what's now you know that that newfoundland part of uh, canada yeah called the indians scray leagues and i don't know what scray leagues actually translates to that's what i used to do in the it 80s when i skateboarded well it can't be good yeah i cannot imagine that the word scray league is a positive naming of something so it's it's demeaning it's it was some kind of demeaning yes <laughs> um, so I would so. think so so basically to wrap up what you're saying is we started with a really nice grocery store and then Walmart came in and put in a massive super Walmart and that's where we are today. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Um we sold some really good items and there was some good Indian food in there. There was uh, well, there was <laughs> there was great potential with, with yeah. the early exploration. I mean, first of all, if 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 you look at Christopher Columbus, you know, to kind of explore this infamous um, arrival of Christopher Columbus as kind of being this this great example of how we've gone from viewing history one way to going to view it another way, mm -hmm. and 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 trying to find the truth in between. Um, there was great promise with Christopher Columbus when he first got here. The native people welcomed him, uh, specifically the, the Arawak Indians, and then other groups such as the the Tainos, who we usually think of as being associated with, with Puerto Rico today, um, welcomed Ooh. him and, and he mentions in his journals they were they were uh, they were they were extremely welcoming. They wanted to trade, they wanted to to, to have the people onto the island and, and, and hang out. Um, and and all the while in his uh, in his journal entries he's he's mentioning how oh they have this abundance of resources and they're so welcoming and they hardly wear any clothes and they're so great and, and <laughs> And, and he literally so that's awesome. And, and and then he literally says within the same breath, and and they're going to be very easy to subjugate and turn into slaves. 
So didn't, didn't you tell it, me the story of uh, the time that uh, they reached out? And grabbed, right. Uh, yes. Yes. One tell of the that first story times, to well, my so if, And again, uh, coming out of Columbus's own journal entry. Right. This is not you know something made up over time. This is literally from Columbus's mouth. He points to the idea of native people being, I guess, in in his mind, stupid. Right. But I think in reality, the word would be ignorant. And, and of course, you know, ignorance isn't stupidity. Ignorance is just, They've if, never if an seen... alien ship comes down, I'm ignorant of what they can do. It well, doesn't you, mean I'm stupid. I just, I've never a, seen it before. You're talking about a culture that has never seen metal they, they, before. Literally, Native people had never seen steel. Never They'd seen never steel. Never seen steel. And he, he had a sword, and he somehow or another kind of held the sword out. Whether they were interested in it and motioned to it or something, I I don't know, but... They they reached for the sword blade, and and cut themselves, and and he he mentions this in his journals, as this kind of Those oh stupid, they're stupid. <laughs> like, how stupid could you be? Well, they've never seen it before. They yeah. don't know what it is. It's a shiny thing. It's it looks cool. It you know probably bejeweled and everything else. You know mm-hmm. engraven with something. They don't know what it is. But I think that that's a good example of. You know, his perspective was the perspective that we had for a long time. He had it when we studied. when we taught Columbus, or or when we taught any number of other things about history. Um, you know, ignorance must have meant stupidity, and and now I think you know there was a push for a while where we moved away from that, and we were like, well, the Indians had it right, and Columbus was just a jerk, and 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 now I think I'd like to think that social studies teaching has arrived at a place where we try to find the honest point somewhere in between. Now it's time for the truth. Well, let's talk about the truth. Well, the truth, that's that's the whole point of studying social studies or history. You're, you're, trying to, you're trying to arrive at the truth, and I think that a good historian from today's teaching perspective, you know, if, if the ideal is that I'm in front of class trying to prepare this group of, of young people or at, at the college level, not necessarily young people, but students in front of me, if, if, if the ideal is that I'm trying to prepare them to be historians, right. whether they're really going to become historians or not, right? Um, that's the ultimate objective, it, it, is that I'd say good teaching of social studies or history today is that you teach people that what you're trying to arrive at is the truth. You also teach people that it's virtually impossible to ever really arrive at the truth. Whether it's something that's happening now or whether it's something that happened uh, over 500 years ago, like Christopher Columbus. We think of the truth as this as this concrete thing, you know? You did or did not steal the cookie out of the cookie jar. Okay. Okay. But, but when you're dealing with much larger subjects, when you're dealing with, with subject matter and topics in history, or even in the modern day of, of, you know, well, is this culture halfway around the world doing something that's right? Right. Well, what is that? What does that mean? You know, you're going to be judging it from our perspective. You try to see it from their perspective, but you know, it comes it down adds to these to confusion. It comes down to these huge philosophical Debate. questions like: yeah. Is there evil? Is there is there good and bad? Is there? I mean, these things that you know, you could. Geez, that's a whole nother set of arguments or debates or, or podcasting. But I mean, I I I, exactly. I think that this all speaks to what. The ideal of social studies teaching is today. Right. You teach people that you're trying to arrive at the truth with an understanding that the truth is something that's virtually incapable of 
of being arrived at. And and and, and, and it well becomes, said. you know, good good history teaching is allowing the student to breathe in the sense of, you know, hearing what you say, you know, hearing or extracting from the textbook or whatever other resources they have, uh, whatever they can get out of it, and then allowing them to come to their own conclusion, but hoping that they don't come to a conclusion that's so concrete that they can't be swayed in the future. Right. Um, and that, now that, you know, I, I, I make it sound easy there, but it's not. It's that's well, no, an incredibly difficult you've thing. You've got to, to add do. in all of the minds of the people that you're speaking to. And you have to consider and the their fact opinions. That, right. And, and, and with younger people, you have to consider the fact that, uh, you know, I, I teach at a private high school in, in Connecticut. Um, uh, and, and I always have to keep in mind that, that these young men, it's, it's an all boys school. These young men are coming to me, not only with their own opinions, but they're at an age where they, they really have not broken away from the opinions of what they get at home. Um, or TV or the internet or, or what a, a million. Yeah. I guess, right. you know, we're in an Influences. age where you got to forget about just what their parents say at home or who their parents vote for. It's... <laughs> Any number of other what factors. Li what yeah. little pimp votes for? <laughs> little nutsack. What he's voting for this week? With the with the Me Too slash political correctness business that's going on nowadays, I have a friend of mine who I worked with who was also a school teacher as well. He taught um, English. Well, he's still teaching English. And he actually got a raise and a, a better set of hours, so he actually is now not driving anymore. He's working full-time as a teacher. And uh, But one thing he said is that in where he is teaching English, a lot has changed in the time that he's been a teacher because of political correctness and because mm. of all the movements and everything yeah, see, else. I, I and I was like going to ask you, what, how is, how is all the years you've been teaching and you have gone through a lot of movements, including bowels? Tell me how it's changed. Well, they're in between classes. <laughs> tell me if anything has changed over the years. You know, have I, you noticed? It's it's an interesting question, and. and has it changed your guidelines, I should say? I certainly say. could see how your friend or any other teacher has found that you know, political movements or differences in ideology today have changed how they teach. Right. I I would tell you, I you know, and, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm not progressive or open-minded, but I've always approached social studies, and, and I can say that, you know, my colleagues within the same school that I teach at and the school itself are, are all very much on the same page as me, that really, you know, acknowledging women's rights and acknowledging the role that women played in United States history or any world history, honestly has, has been something that I've always stressed. Right. That's always been a big part of, of what I do in, in the classroom and what I feel like my colleagues do and what the administration and the school in general is supportive of. So I don't mean to sound, um, I don't mean to sound like I'm saying, well, you know, the Me Too movement or anything else hasn't changed what I do. I don't mean it like that in, no, in the I sense understand. that it hasn't, you know, like, I don't care what they're saying. I mean, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like acknowledging the role of women in United States history or any history or, or, and, and honestly, even getting into some of the very hard truths is something that I've always done. I mean, I'll, 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 give, I'll give you an example. Please. I'll give you an example. You know, granted, I'm teaching at the high school level. So, you know, high school students can can handle 
certain things a little more than than maybe younger students. True. Something with with United States history that's a great example is acknowledging to students that you know here in the United States, especially after the slave trade was not necessarily only after the slave trade was abolished, but especially after the slave trade was abolished, one of the ways that American slave masters um, kept the number of slaves that they needed up was to force themselves sexually to rape, if you will, slave women. Right. I mean, that's that's a hard, you know, that's kind it's of a hard very, truth to it's hear. It's a hard truth. It's a very adult truth. Right. Um, but I mean, that's a good example of something that I've never shied away from. And I know that my colleagues have never shied away from discussing in the classroom and, and making sure that the that the young men we teach are are aware of and and know happened. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say I, I drive it into the ground. I mention it every day, but it's when the time and place is correct. It's it's something that we've mentioned. We've I've I've talked very openly with students for years and years about, you know, Thomas Jefferson and, and his relationship with Sally Hemings, which right. many will still tell you is only alleged. I will tell you that the the evidence that Thomas Jefferson was having a sexual relationship with a part African-American um, slave that he owned named Sally Hemings is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Now, weren't they in love, though? Well, and, and but but that's another part that I bring into. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a tricky question. Now, and, and here, going back to what I said before about let's try to arrive at the truth with an understanding that we can't. Right? Understand it, yeah. Here's a perfect example. We didn't live in that time. Here's a perfect example. Yeah. Sally Hemings, you know, fact, she went to France with Thomas Jefferson and wanted to stay there because, because slavery was illegal and she knew that she could be free. He threatened her, as far as we know, with never being able to see any of her children with him again if, if she stayed there. So she came back with him. So that would make it sound on one hand like he's he's taking advantage of her. He's you, you might even say that the sexual relationship is rape. But then we also know that when he was if he on was... his deathbed, she was there at the side crying. So it's it's I always, it's complicated. It is it's complicated. Not, you know, I mean, was he taking advantage? Look, if you own somebody and you have that kind of relationship with them, you can't say it's okay. On the other hand, it is clearly more complicated than that. And, and, and you know, this isn't just me saying this. Is a, I, her name escapes me right now, but there's a very well-known, very prominent uh, female African-American historian uh, who I was reading an article she wrote just a couple of years ago where she was saying basically the same thing. So, I mean, look, it's, it's not just me, you know, Jim Royce, I'm a white male teaching history in America, it's it's African American female historians telling you it's complicated. Right. What the truth is about what their relationship was is complicated, is is difficult to arrive at, and we will never, frankly, truly understand. Was it totally appropriate? I think it's safe to say no. He he was her master. He he owned her, and he was, you know, whether she wanted to or not, they were going to have a sexual relationship. But I think it's also clear that she did at least at some point, develop very strong feelings for the man. But, you know, I mean, it... Besides all that, it's just the fact of trying to teach it without these, right. stepping on the this factor and that factor. Do you ever have... Um, have you ever taught something about slavery that has angered 
maybe a black student or any other students and they get up to the point where they're like, you know what? I don't no, want to hear I've been very, well, I mean, I'm, I'm very conscious of trying to not say something that will, that will anger African-American students. I think one of the things I'll, I'll tell you this, one of the things that I've approached on several occasions, um, are how stereotypes come out of history. Yeah. And, and students always, you know, I, I always go, I, you know, of course, even approaching the idea of a stereotype, somebody will immediately think, oh, you believe in the stereotype and that's it. You know, um, it's more complicated than that. My, my opinion is instead of just saying, oh, well, that's a stereotype, throw it out the window, understand where it came from. And you might understand a little bit more about what the truth is. Again, trying to go closer to the truth. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there are, okay, here, oh, wow, I, I, it's be broadcast over the internet and this is going to get controversial right now. But there are all kinds of, there are all kinds of foods that are associated with, let's say, African-American culture, right? Right. That become almost a racist statement if you say, oh, well, you know, African-American people and, and you know, fried foods like fried chicken or something. This is, this is, that's, that's a racist stereotypical thing to think of. We're having chicken waffles tonight, uh, by the way. That sounds wonderful. Okay, but, just so you know. But, but I've, I've always approached it with my students if something like that comes up. I always take the attitude, and it does. I say, well, well, why? You know, why? Let's let's talk about this. How did if, that start? How did that start? And the answer is that if you go back to American Southern slave culture, number one, chickens were something that were easy to keep around. Very abundant. Very you had, abundant. Chickens were abundant. Flour was next to free. Okay, uh, and 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 then what do you need? Lard and 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 basic seasoning. It's not a big shock that fried chicken comes out of you know slave african-american culture and and again you know i'm not trying to be stereotypical right no racist, i understand completely but, but my my approach as a history teacher is instead of just laughing at it or making it some kind of racist Term, uh, uh, right. uh, Comment. idea right uh, you know dissect it and find out what the truth is well the truth is that the nice cuts of meat were going to the plantation owner and so slaves were taking what they had and frankly, um, in, ingeniously making it better, creating something yeah. great. You know, I mean, it's it's, uh, and so that's that's a good example of you know you're asking if I have I ever brought something up that's angered people. Well, I, I guess the answer was no, but I have approached subjects like that where I'm what I'm trying Can to do feel the is the tension in the room almost well, getting a little bit. It's hard. It's hard to not say something like, "Oh, well, this food is associated with that culture." And, but instead, approach it in a way where you look at it from a historical perspective and you find out what the truths are. And, 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 and what you find out is that it's not that African-Americans weren't creative. What they were doing was they were taking what they had and making something that is now, you know, part and parcel with American culture. Right. You know, and, and granted, to take it and, and turn it into a stereotype where it's like, oh, well, if you're African-American, then you must like this. That's racism. But to to dissect it in a way where hopefully the student leaves the class saying, okay, I understand why. Another good example would be, again, you know, a, a, a very, you know, I don't want your listeners to take it the wrong way, but people, people often make a stereotype of Jews being cheap, right? Right. Well, one of the things I've talked about in, in my courses where we discuss medieval history is that 
if if this is another good example, is that in medieval times, Jews were often allowed to live in medieval villages, really because they were willing to do things that Christians weren't. So Christians, for example, Christians thought that usury, which is the lending of money for profit, was a sin. Jews didn't have a problem with it. Well, if the role of many Jews in medieval villages was to lend money and then collect um, a, a percentage of what they lent as their payment as it was getting paid back, if the guy doesn't pay it back, the person who lent the money is going to have to do what? They're going to have to chase you down and say, hey, you made an an agreement with me. Yeah. You owe me X amount. And, early and, early and, loan sharks. And you owe me, well, but... <laughs> yeah, but I got they, you. Hey, they, they engaged in a contract and they were, they were justified in wanting to get back their money and get their payment. That's how they're making a living. Yeah. Of course, the, the European Christian idea was to say, oh, well, you're cheap. That's all you, you just want your money back, you know? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, he wants his money back because that's what he, you know... <laughs> If you if you use a credit card, and the credit card says, "Well, you got to pay me with wanna, interest," I want to let you know that you know. I'm Christian and I'm offended. You said a trigger word, <laughs> and uh, I'm just saying it's, I'm just it's another good example of of how you know there can be there can be um, like you said subjects that that bring about tension when you're talking about history and social studies. Yeah, but I think as the teacher, your your role has to be let's take a look at where this really came from. Let's dissect it. Let's find out, well, where did the stereotype come from? And what you'll find out more often than not, if not always, is the stereotype is really founded in an ignorance exactly. of what the whole truth was. There's a reason African-Americans made certain foods. And frankly, when you take a look at what they were given and what they made out of it, it's pretty damn impressive. There's a reason that Jews were trying to get their money back in, in medieval villages. It's because they didn't do anything wrong, but the Christians, who they lent money to, weren't paying it back, so of course they were chasing them down for their money. That's that's what you do, you know? You lend somebody money, they don't pay you back, you chase them down for it. Well, I want to say this is going much better than I had hoped because you're giving us a history lesson, number one, while also telling us the history of I love of history. to hear myself talk. Well, that's important, you know. I think that's a very important thing. That's why I record. I'm saying that like it's a joke, but it's actually quite true. <laughs> so. Truth be said, um, now you've already kind of covered this, but I wanted to uh, ask if there's ever been something that you wanted to cover and you've ever been shot down to cover that particular subject for Not any Not at reason. any school that I've taught at. Including no. college level. No. Well, college level, you can talk about anything you want, usually. Right. Jeez, it, it, you could curse through back, the whole course. I think back on some of the things the professor said in classrooms when I was when I was there, and I... Oh, my Lord. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, um, no. And, and that's something that makes me kind of proud of the places that, I, that I've taught at, is that, no, I, I have never had anyone tell me... Uh, well, don't broach this subject. Don't broach this subject. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there are subjects out there that I might be told, hey, you know, leave this one to the parents or something. Um, the hymen but, studies or but, something you wouldn't teach. Well, I, I uh, <laughs> hymen studies, uh, you know, um, 
you'd be, I, I'll, I'll just leave it at this. You'd be surprised at what I have brought up and yeah. found connections to what we're discussing in class with. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, um, you know, always done for a valid reason, of course. Right. But, but managed to walk out with the students saying, yeah, you know, there was a reason he, he talked about that and, and, and it was relevant and, um, and you know, yeah, no, I mean, uh, knock wood. No, now watch. I'll go in Monday and find out that I, <laughs> Jim, no know, longer I said something that, that offended somebody. That whole but, um, chicken thing. No yeah. more. No, no more. <laughs> no more Jews in medieval villages. Um, no. Uh, but but uh, no, I I have never had any of the schools that I've worked at of of which really in in, in my career, I suppose you you say three. Um, two at the college level and, and and one at the high school level. I've never had anybody tell me, you know, just Yet. don't just don't talk about this no, or or, no, nay, nay. or hey, good. you you brought something up that we we just don't want you to say again. Um, yeah, you know. But with that said, I approach the things that I do bring up or decide to to approach respectfully and with a clear explanation of why it's I'm, being I'm taught. doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I wanted to mention a little bit about one of the reasons I did this show um, is because of the fact that in the 70s when I was being taught, I've told you, I learned a lot about the Mayans. I learned a little bit about slavery, a lot more about Egypt and the Mayans. Egypt and, and the Mayans. Times. Oh, yeah, that was a big deal for some reason in the 70s. People was, who had slaves and built pyramids. Yeah, sure. That was important because that's it wasn't, connecting factor, it wasn't here. And that's why. Um, I've seen a video on this um, done by another teacher. I can't remember her name to save my life. But the fact, and it was like that in my school too, where America was the biggest on the world map. That in the in the early 80s, they finally made the world map a broken orange peel of the planet. Oh, they've, well, they've, they've, they've changed. They've changed. There's like whole studies on this. They've changed how they've unfurled the world into a map so many times yeah and it's crazy because you you can't take you can't take all the continents on a globe and and unfurl it if you will like an orange peel you know and have everything really be in perspective so there's all different kinds of takes on how to do that and it's kind of funny because sometimes you'll look at one map and iceland is like you know this, this size, right? And then and then you look at another map. This is the point I was going to. And make. it's like Iceland is way smaller, or Iceland is way bigger, or it's, it's like well, it's either one or the other. What is it? You know, right? But but the honest truth is, you you can't take what's on a sphere and roll it out flat and not have it look. I mean, this is this is about as far as with you know physics or whatever I can go. But I'm not a math teacher. But the, but well, the point I was making is a good point. And it doesn't like strike me like I want to go out and pick it. But at the same time, it was a good point. In the 70s, America was the most hugest thing on that map. And every other country that had the darker person, the smaller the country was on the map. Because those didn't matter as much as learning about lamb. Plus, we're in America. I think that's another good point. It was just weird to me. 
And it, it kind of brought across this, well, these don't matter. Those don't matter. We're never going to see that. We're never going to go there. Right. It, it doesn't matter if it's smaller on the map because who cares? And, right. right. Cares and and there's, you know, <laughs> only very rich people were able to travel, I guess, in the 70s to those types of places. It's not like I would ever see them. They didn't think in the future it would be easy for me to hop a plane. Of course, nobody knew about well, like a 10 gigabyte disc for a computer was the size of a record. So it's like they didn't know that that would fit into a phone, you know, <laughs> and then it would be easy to get your tickets and stuff. And it, it bothers me now. I do. There's a little bit of a feeling that like I got cheated on some good history teachings. And uh, so that's one thing I feel lucky that you are a teacher, because uh, even though I haven't yet, I would love to sit on one of your courses. I'll keep my hands down and my mouth shut, I promise. Well, I... But, and you'd be doing better than maybe 99% of the seniors I oh, teach. Oh, okay, that would be yeah. great. When you started teaching, I, I know, of course, in progression over time, you're going to start adding to um, how you teach and what you teach and, and how you collect the items for the school year. It's going to change year to year. Sure. Do you still have a a first day of class regiment you go through in the world of teaching history, whether it's college or high school, is there still that one core thing that you start with to just jump right into teaching for the school year? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, there was something that I used to use a lot. I can't get a hold of it now anymore, but I had it for a while. And when I had it, it was my, it was my go-to break the ice um, first day of school, everybody laughs, but I was able to get something out of it. Okay. Moment, which I, you know, and so again, you know, I, I didn't do it this year and, and I haven't for a while cause it's hard to find cause of copyright stuff. But there was years ago, there was, um, like in the, back when Jerry Seinfeld was still in Seinfeld, the show, right? right? So, so we're going back a while here. He Back in the 90s. Ho- yeah, the 90s. He hosted SNL. He must have hosted it more than once. But there was one time when he hosted SNL, and there was a, a hilarious skit where he's a teacher. And the classroom is made up of all these comedians that are, well, in some cases passed away, but in many cases um, really famous now. Right. Uh, Chris Farley is in the back of the room oh, as a student. Chris Farley, yeah. Um, uh, David Spade is one of the students. Chris Rock is one of the students. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like a an amazing lineup. So he's the teacher, and they're the students. And you know, he's he's going in there with this positive attitude, and he's going to teach about um, he's going to teach about World War Two, and the students are just dense. You know, they just have no idea what's going on. Right. Uh, Adam Sandler is one of the students. He's, he's one of them there. <laughs> but let's think, what political group was in Europe at the time? Um, the French? <laughs> yes. Mr. Thompson, the French are still in Europe today. Yeah, let's just get off the French for a while, okay? Yeah, but the whole point of it was that I would show this and everybody would really laugh at it, you know? And and uh, even even the students I had would, would recognize. They'd be like, "Oh, that's Adam Sandler when he's twenty something. You know, he's, yeah, he's you know, or that, that's Chris it. Rock. Oh my gosh, he's so young." Um, but then the whole point that I would make was, "Look, 
when I give you homework, you have to go home and really try to do it because I don't want to come to class and have and have this. Have right? I want to have a conversation with you. I want to have a learning experience with you. I don't want to have me just banging my head against a wall. You know, there's there's a reason I give you the assignments that I'm going to give you. Please, please take the time to that. That was the whole point. And that, and that was so part awesome. of it. But it was, it, it, if anybody out there can, can find it, it is one of the funniest SNL skits, especially as a teacher. I'll try to put one it in the, the show notes. One of the funniest SNL skits I've, I've ever seen in my I'll life. Put, I'll put a link in the show notes for it. Do we wish to sum it up? Uh, well, you want to sum it up? I sum it up, I, I, I suppose... Um, you know, teaching social studies, teaching in general is 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 an art, is a craft, is a is a profession that's always changing, it's always evolving. One of the, you know, when I was getting going in teaching, one of the people that I worked with early on who had a big impact on me told me that one of the keys to being a good teacher was to always be flexible. Be flexible in the moment, you know, read your students' faces, um, be flexible within the course of a year. But be flexible within the course of your career, and and I think he was very right about that. And especially with social studies, um, as we as we change our own perceptions of what's the right way to teach something, as we as we explore more and more of what we think the truth yeah. was or is, um, I think that you have to be flexible and you have to be willing to. To realize, well, I used to teach something one way. Maybe, maybe the the better way to do it is this, and then say, "Oops, that didn't work so well." Maybe, yeah. maybe the better the way to do it would be the old way I was doing it, or a different way. Even um, the teachers have to learn as well. You know, I I tell my students all the time. I'm, you know, students will ask me. They're like, "Well, you were a historian." You know, that's a question I've gotten. Are you a historian? Because I'm always saying, well, historians will say this, historians will say that. I've had students say, hey, Mr. Royce, are you a historian? You know. Hey, Jim, are you a historian? I think calling yourself a historian is like, and and it's great now, I'm just going to say, because now with all these new Star Wars movies, all my students have gone back and watched the old ones that were good. So they know what I'm saying now. Because there, there was a long, sad period where they didn't get this. Yeah. When I said it. <laughs> to use but now, <laughs> now that everybody's gone and watched the Star Wars movies that are worth That's watching, yeah. um, calling yourself a historian is like the start of Return of the Jedi when Luke shows up and he's proclaiming that he's a Jedi. Yeah. And 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 what you find out is that he's not. He's not a Jedi. You know, he can't he can't decide when he's a Jedi. You know, that's not for him to decide. Yeah. Um, well, when students ask me, are, are you a historian? You know, my answer is it's it's like Luke calling himself a Jedi. I, I feel like it's not for me to call myself a historian. But here's what I will say. I'm, I'm a student of history. I've loved history my whole life. I love teaching history because one of the reasons is because I continue to learn more and more and think about things new ways and find out there's all sorts of stuff that I never knew. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I, I'm a lifelong student of history. You want to call me a historian or you want to call me a teacher or you want to call me, you know, a lecturer at a, one or two colleges or something, or you can call me, call me whatever you want, you know, call me stinky pants, I don't know, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know. I'm a, 
I'm a student. What I am and what I'm sure that I am is a student of history. You could say, I learned that from Stinky Pants. Stinky Pants. I didn't know what to say. I was reaching for something. Um, So basically, what you're doing is teaching the human race about the human race. Well, that's... That's the best way to put it. Absolutely. If you're a parent and you see a giant change in what, where you're located with the changing times and, and you notice that something is much different than what you learned in school and or something is not being taught that you wish was taught, I say get involved with your teachers. Talk to them. Uh, in this case, you seem to have it down pat. I don't think you'll have oh, any I... complaints from your students' parents or anything else. And that's one reason I had you on the show. You seem to be... Well, you'd be surprised. People will find a way to complain still about have, Still have a way to tear you yeah, apart. But that's okay. And then research uh, I, research something with your child. Talk to your child while they're doing the homework and things like that. There's a lot. When I was growing up, my dad hated helping me with homework to the point that he would get angry it always ended in me crying and going oh, to no. my room. It was terrible. And uh, I'm not your psychiatrist here, no. Serbinator. You, you, you know. No, I'm just telling <laughs> the people, these people are my psychiatrist. When I'm stuck in a parent-teacher conference where I can tell they don't know what to say to me and, and I don't know what to say to them, and, and, and that's totally normal because you don't know these people, you know. These pe- <laughs> but some- you're trying to make it into a meaningful interaction. One of the things I always say is, right. I say, well, you know, does your... Does your son come home and talk about the class? Does he does he say anything about it? And and inevitably, most of the time, their answer is uh, no. He doesn't come home and say anything about anything at all. <laughs> doesn't that make you feel good? <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't he, Mr. Royce, he doesn't come home and talk about you. And frankly, he doesn't talk to us about anything. <laughs> so he goes to his room and plays Xbox or whatever they they do now. And and uh, and. Um, It'd be great if he talked to us about you or anything else, but he doesn't. So, okay. <laughs> That's a good way to He's not going home and saying something negative, I guess. <laughs> That's true. That's better than nothing. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me here. Sure, and I appreciate it. Hey, guys, as usual, I always look forward to talking to you again and overthinking with you next time on the Overthinking Podcast. Visit Serbinator Land on Facebook, Google Plus, and Twitter. All shows available in iTunes, Stitcher, RSS Download, and Google Play. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.